the reason we wanted to always hold on to our patients was we give immunotherapies and other drugs that, that have very similar symptoms to sort of COVID symptoms. Hello, I'm Rachel Deere, host of today's program, COVID-19, Keeping Up with a Moving Target. This is the September 18th update of DKB Med Radio's Coronavirus Educational Series. Thank you for joining us. This activity is jointly provided by the Postgraduate Institute for Medicine, DKB Med, and the Institute for Johns Hopkins Nursing. Today's program is accredited for ANCC and AAPA credit, as well as AMA PRA Category 1 credits. Please visit our website for complete CE information. To attest for credit, please visit covid19.dkbmed.com. There, you will also find all of our previous COVID-19 programs and have access to other free CE programs on a wide range of topics. Today's learning objectives are list three benefits of an oncology urgent care center, describe the impact of COVID-19 for cancer patients, and explain the value of implementing an oncology biocontainment urgent care unit during the COVID-19 pandemic. This activity is supported by an educational grant from Pfizer Incorporated and in kind by DKB Med. All activity content and materials have been developed solely by the activity directors, planning committee members, and faculty presenters. With us today, we have Michaela Olson and Gina Szymanski from the Sydney Kimmel Comprehensive Care Center at Johns Hopkins Hospital, where Michaela is an oncology clinical nurse specialist and Gina is the assistant director of nursing. In part one of this interview, Michaela will be asking Gina about their biocontainment urgent care unit for oncology patients and its role during the COVID-19 pandemic. Michaela, Gina, thank you for your time. Thank you for having us. Uh, today, the topic of our conversation is going to be about oncology urgent care. And uh, I wanted to just kind of give a quick overview, and then Gina and I are going to talk through some, some interesting things that we did with innovation around urgent care and the care of our sick oncology patients during COVID. We have an urgent care, and um, Gina, help me remember, it's been in place since 2011, right? 11 or 12, yeah. And so we have a long history of having an urgent care for our cancer patients. Our mission is to provide same-day diagnosis, treatment, and symptom management for patients with acute oncologic conditions. Our vision is to have accessible advanced oncology urgent care services that prevent emergency room visits and unnecessary admissions that, so that we can stabilize patient symptoms, prevent further patient decline, and support our patients in the ambulatory setting. Our values are to have the right patient in the right environment and with the highest quality of care and the lowest cost. So that's a little bit about our current urgent care center at the Sydney Kimmel Comprehensive Cancer Center. We see all oncology patients who are actively being treated for their disease, and we, have, we are by appointment only. That's a little bit about our current urgent care. So when COVID hit, we had to quickly figure out how we were going to continue to care for patients that were having symptoms of COVID. So I'll let Gina just talk a little bit about the vision for what we had 
and currently to care for our patients and how we were going to mirror that so that our patients would not be sent away to other parts of the health system or the hospital. Yeah, thank you, Michaela. I think the, the operative word here is adaptation. It was really about looking at our current urgent care environment and, you know, the workflows, the processes, the equipment, sort of the layout and say, you know, how are we going to manage um, our patients that are sick and either have an urgent care issue and they're COVID positive or these are other patients could be getting treated and they're COVID positive and sort of how are we going to manage them in a building that's been labeled and designated a non-COVID building, so a clean building, if you will. And so the conversation became sort of how do we adapt what we already have and create a mirror image of this, if you will, and, and do it in a place, in a space that makes sense and allows us to be fairly fluid in, in, in caring for these patients. It turns out we were, we had just finished planning probably for the last 12 months, uh, a renovation to our urgent care space. Blueprints are done, money allocated, we were all ready to go and COVID hit and we were put on basically eternal hold in terms of a renovation. And we're living the COVID world right now. But that space happened to be right adjacent to our current urgent care space. That's how we were gonna expand and make our urgent care space bigger, our, our original space. And so we decided to go into that space. It had been abandoned. There was still equipment in there. We cleaned it all out and cleaned it up. It was old radiology space, five big rooms in it, brought an architect down there and an HVAC guy and said, what would it look like if we had this space and we could accomplish two things? And one is uh, we want to be able to test patients uh, who are complaining of symptoms. But the reason we wanted to always hold on to our patients was we give immunotherapies and other drugs that, that have very similar symptoms to sort of COVID symptoms. And so we didn't want an ED or, or, or doctors in other parts of the hospital to try and sort this out for us. We wanted to create a space where we could, as soon as we had symptoms that mirrored um, that of COVID, that we could, we could see them, um, we could swab them and test them, hold them until we get results, and then make a decision about what we're going to do. And most of these patients presented through the normal urgent care workflow. We didn't create a separate workflow same urgent care workflow, vetted over the phone. And the, the decision point was, the first decision point was, yes, we can accept them. The second decision point was, which side are they going to? The clean side or what we call the dirty side, meaning the, the organism side, the bio side. Two weeks and two and a half weeks later, uh, we had a space that was done. We basically just took the space that we had and I said, what's the maximum amount of chairs and stretchers we can get in here? No private rooms, rooms that were shared, um, but that space was for COVID positive patients. So once you were deemed positive, you could be in a room with another positive patient. Um, we were able to quickly turn it to all negative pressure. That was one of the first boxes that need to be checked and basically just mirrored the workflows and the patterns to sort of how patients arrived, how they were moved into a treatment space, how they were treated and then moved out of their treatment space. There were a few more bells and whistles. We have patient safety officers and transport patient safety officers for all of our uh, COVID positive patients. They need to move in and out of their private space or room, wherever they are, into a hallway and into the, wherever else they're going, they've got to be accompanied by a safety officer who knows how to work with the nurse that's moving the patients, make sure everybody stays safe and nobody else gets exposed. And so they were part of our landscape. It was sort of a new role. But I think it was an adaptation. It was, it was looking at what we had and what, we were, what worked for us and taking that exact blueprint and saying, what pieces of this need to be different? Talk to the people that could help us make it different. And just 
got at it. I mean, we just, just went after it. Uh, and it right. actually has been very successful. The space right. is very successful. And we know from our current urgent care data that our patients only spend about three, three and a half hours with us in urgent care. And we also send 80% of our patients that come into urgent care to their home at night. And that percentage, it's opposite of what the emergency room does. So when our patients typically go to the ED, 80% of the time they get admitted. They're less familiar with the diagnosis and they're a little bit more conservative with our patients as they should be. And we are obviously, we have algorithms, we're more confident in, in our diagnosis and delivery of care. So we'll often send them home and maybe even bring them back the next day for care. So we knew this was the right thing to do. We knew that if we wanted to continue those percentages and continue to keep patients in the home where they're safest and out of our hospital, we knew that our bed situation was gonna be very, very tight for possibly with sicker patients and even more COVID patients. So we knew that those patients that could stay out of the hospital really needed to. I wanted to talk a little bit about how we staffed the urgent care bio unit during this time with some redeployment strategies. And I know you spent a lot of time doing that. Two things happened that allowed us to kind of stand this up and then staff it. We really we tried not to think about staffing when we were thinking about the, the adaptation that needed to happen. We figured out if we can build it, they will come. And if they come, we're gonna to have to find people to do the work. And that's exactly what happened. So we were fortunate, two things happened. One is our infusion volumes went down slightly, you know, maybe 20 at the very outset, maybe at the highest, it was probably 25%. That gave us some breathing room with some current staff in two infusion buildings, two infusion sites that could be freed up to kind of help with staffing. So that was one piece, clearly not enough, but that was, that got us started in our thinking. The other piece was we have a whole another universe kind of right across the street from us in our research colleagues. They do a tremendous job and, and spend endless hours with lots of people maintaining that research mission. That research mission across the hospital and through the deans and lots of high-level people, it, it basically, they sun down the research. They kind of brought it down. The only, there were very strict criteria about what could continue, uh, which was really very small in terms of the number of patients. And they stayed sundown until we sort of got through the crisis. They are just now opening back up now, and they're about to 50 to 75% back to baseline. But when they sundown, there were about, I don't know, 60 to 70 research nurses in various capacities covering all kinds of programs that we knew were over there. Uh, Mikhail and I have been here for, for a really long time. We're dinosaurs, so we know where the resources are. So we tapped our nursing research colleagues and said, you know, you guys are sundowning, you're, you're taking your business model down. Would you be willing to come across the street and help us out? And we were very, very fortunate to get probably maybe half of that. Maybe we got 30 to 40 people that volunteered. Uh, and we were able to put them in a couple of different capacities. We actually asked them, some of you were not that long ago. I hired a lot of these people as new graduates. So I kind of, and Michaela knew them as well. We worked with them for many years, a lot of them. So it, the question was, can you come back and get your wheels re-greased and come back to direct patient care as a provider? If you don't feel like you can get that far, do you think you could re-grease enough to be a nurse extender, almost like a tech or, or a nursing assistant, but probably a little bit more enhanced than that? And if you didn't feel like the bedside and the clinical stuff was gonna be your friend, 
would you be interested in helping to staff as our front door screener? Or would you be interested in this safety officer or transport safety officer role? So we had four or five options of things that we needed to fill. And we were looking at, you know, 60 people across the street. Not all of them could help, but a large majority of them could. And so we slowly brought them over. It took, it probably took a good, you know, six weeks to kind of get everybody mobilized, figure out what everybody wanted to do, set up the education and the training. We brought them to the other side of the street and probably for the last, I mean, they've been with us for probably three months, maybe a little bit longer. It's, it's probably in the next week or so, the last of the research nurses will be going back across the street to really fill out the programs, the research programs on the other side of the street. And there is no plan for them to sundown if we end up getting another surge in the fall. So we're on our own in the fall. But while it was very painful at the front end and we were asking people to really stretch and really pushing people to, to really get outside of their comfort zone, it was nothing but a win-win for everybody. I, you know, we can't say enough about how grateful we are and what a great job they did. And actually some of those people, it was, it was really a point of pride for them that they were able to kind of show themselves that, you know what, I, I still have it in me. I still can do it. I can contribute. I can help on that clinical side. So very much a game changer for us having those nurses. That was, that's what saved us. We were able to do a lot of work with our, with our research colleagues joining us. Right. They were the ones that provided most of the staffing. Right, and uh, contrary to what some people have done, our staff actually cared for people in urgent care bio, and then maybe the next day staffed the regular urgent care, where a lot of people divided their staff and didn't let them work in bio units versus non-bio units with cancer patients. But with our safety officer and transport safety officer program and the strict adherence to infection control principles, we actually did not have any patient to staff or staff to patient transmissions and safely cared for all these patients during this time in these environments. This concludes part one of Gina and Michaela's interview. Please check back next Friday for part two as we conclude. As a reminder, to claim credit, please go to covid19.dkbmed.com, select today's activity, and complete the evaluation. You'll receive your certificate immediately after. Any questions or issues, feel free to email us at the address listed. To submit questions, please send them to qa at dkbmed.com. That's Q is in question, A is in answer, at dkbmed.com. Again, thanks for joining us and thank you for your dedication to your patients with COVID-19.